Good morning, everybody. How are you? Hope all is well. We're going to stick with the meditations today. I'm really enjoying having this be my morning uh, habit. I'm not sure for how much longer. Maybe I'll start work, like working in a couple other books. I might start reading a little bit more, um, a little more variety. But for now, for the next few days at least, I do think spending a, a couple weeks for anybody really just reading the meditations every morning would be helpful. Um, I do recommend it. I know I've said the name of the book before, but it's the meditations and the translation I'm using is by Gregory Hayes. Buy this book. It might even be available online. I don't know, but I do recommend you buy it. I like physical books. There's actually some significant research that I've been encountering recently for my doctoral work that reading a physical book is literally healthy for you emotionally, mentally, cognitively. There's a certain type of reading that having a physical book promotes um, that reading on the internet just or even I think reading a screen in comparison, it just pales in comparison, right? So try to get the physical book if you can, or maybe even print out um, if it is available online, the pages and sit with it and read it. That being said, I do think sooner than later, I will um, I will start sharing some other ideas on the podcast. I'll work in a little bit more, um, probably like one or two other books throughout the week. I'm not bored of meditations, but I, you know, as I'm sharing this, I hope that I'm not. Uh, I want to give at least a couple more options too. Maybe some other philosophers will interest you. So we'll do that. That being said, today's quote I think is great from Marcus again talking to himself, and this really pertains or connects to one of my favorite mantras that I just heard growing up that I use constantly, which is, "It is what it is. It is what it is." But that's not really as simple as it seems to be, right? Because we have to first of all we're responsible for knowing what it is, right? We should be able to articulate and understand and, you know, convey the it, or let's say it's itness. You know what I mean? That's I like that. That's kind of, like, you have to know what it is and that takes work, right? So what Marcus here, this is, this is very much a, once again, a stoic principle, of course, Marcus, you know, a, you know, a student of stoicism, um, this idea of acceptance, so when we're talking about stoic accept acceptance, and I won't get even into a more fati yet, right? I'll do maybe in a minute. But stoics want us to accept the unchangeable, I think, mainly so we don't torture ourselves about it, right? So it's, you know, it's a main goal for the stoics that we lead a tranquil life, right? The stoics are very concerned, as I think I said already, with this idea of service, how we move in the world, how we influence the world, what we offer the world, how we understand the world. But they're also, of course, very much concerned with this internal life, right? So they want you, and this is in a sense also about how they influence the world because they were teachers, they were politicians, they were advisors to powerful people, right? Stoics had full lives. They were parents. I mean, they weren't just sitting around reading and writing all day. They really were in society um, trying to practice these beliefs, right? So by offering it in a sense, by telling you to try to remain calm and tranquil and stress-free and anxiety-free and then giving you advice on how to do it, that's them serving their purpose, right? So it's, it's sort of an interesting function, um, this advice on the internal world or on the internal spiritual life. When it comes from someone else, that's also them fulfilling their moral or their, um, their duty to society in a sense, right? So Marcus here, again, not necessarily doing that in this meditations, as we've said a hundred times already, he wrote it for himself, but, you know, as an emperor, as a father as um, a friend, right? We, we get the sense he tried to do this kind of stuff. He tried to offer this to people through teaching them, right? Kindly and with gentleness. So that being said, right? He's saying, he's saying, saying to himself here, and this is a great quote, number 15 uh, on page 104 of uh, the Gregory Hayes translation. He tells himself, remember, 
You shouldn't be surprised that a fig tree produces figs, nor the world what it produces. A good doctor isn't surprised when his patients have fevers or a helmsman when the wind blows against him. I love these analogies, right? The doctor. Well, why talk about that in the context of philosophy? Well, Epictetus, one of Marcus's mentors, a great figure of Stoicism, was himself a teacher. He used to describe his school as a hospital. Right? You'd come to his school and it, your, your ailment might be that you're lacking confidence or your ailment might be that you're overly stressed because you're putting your, um, <laughs> your expectations too high. Right? You don't know how to relate to the external world in a way that's healthy for you. You're constantly anxious. You're constantly afraid or whatever. Right? And he'd come and he, or you'd come to his school and he'd try to help you by giving you antidotes. He'd try to help you by encouraging you to understand things differently, by shifting your perspective. He'd give you like a to-do list. Okay, you're really stressed out. Well, let's make a new habit. Make time every day. You have to cultivate yourself in a different way. <clears throat> right? Maybe go for a walk every day. Maybe sit down and read a book for 10 minutes a day. Maybe stop doing certain things. Don't look at your phone until, now nah, I'm nah, Epictetus, but today, right? Um, don't look at your phone until... 12 p.m. Start your morning off with a walk, with meditation, with exercise, with prayer, reading, journaling. Something like listen to different music, right? Be conscious about what you consume. And by that, I mean not just what you eat, but what you listen to, what you watch. Say no to certain things. Say yes to others, right? These are all suggestions that are sort of like antidotes. So they'd help you or I think Epictetus would try to give you a diagnosis. Oh, you're stressed because you might be doing this too much or too little. All right, well, let's shift it. All right, so now the same way, of, you know, if you broke your leg, the doctor says, oh, you broke your leg. You're trying to move it. Oh, you can't. Okay. Oh, I'm looking at the leg. It's bruised, whatever. I don't know anything about broken legs really, right? So, I, But they'd be able to tell the doctor's eyes are trained to see that a leg is broken and not strain, uh, strained. No. Yes. No. Sprained. There we go. Sorry. Um, it, a doctor's eyes their lens, right? So eyes, I mean, as, you know, literal, but also metaphorical, right? Their way of seeing has been trained such that they can diagnose philosophers in, of the ancient world, right? In the ancient world, similar, we're similar in this regard. And we've been tortured by, I would say, at least similar things for thousands of years. Epictetus maybe will likely would be the person we look at next for a little bit, right? He was constantly helping people with this stuff. Marcus too grapples with this, worrying about what people think about him. We still do it today. I think we do it more today because of our phones, because in ancient Greece, you, you left the Agora, right? You left the marketplace, you were, you were at your house, you're in your house, the door's closed, there's privacy there. Now we bring the world with us wherever we go on our phones, right? So we maybe have to even think more profoundly, more deeply about ways to respond to our stresses, right? But the philosopher, in quotes, right? Because again, we, I think last episode we said to even call yourself, you wouldn't call yourself a philosopher because you sound like a little bit arrogant, right? Like it would, just be, it would seem odd. So people who were perceived as philosophers by others or people who tried to offer spiritual guidance, right? Which is everyone, by the way. We all try to do that for each other and for ourselves. <laughs> but a philosopher maybe has read certain things has spent time in contemplation, writing, and hopefully living in a way that provides an example, right? So would be able to hopefully, given that experience or those set of experiences, diagnose more effectively, maybe more quickly. And then not, it's not enough to give a diagnosis, right? If you broke your leg, you'd have to go to physical therapy. You'd have to have a new habit, maybe once a week, twice a week, depending on the injury, right? A new habit, new ways of moving, new ways of thinking, new ways of interacting with others. 
because you have to meet the physical therapist, right? So <clears throat> you have to perform exercises to strengthen this weakened part of your body. It's the same thing with the soul. We can exercise our patients and we can do it effectively by implementing certain tools, right? And, and certain ideas we can bring to our minds. So I love that, I, that the analogy there. I think he's using that, if not deliberately, unconsciously, which might even be more emblematic or representative of its importance in Stoic thinking, right? That's the example he used because it's just the example he used, right? Because it's a part of what the school would have, I think, encouraged him to do. The helmsman too, right? With the wind blowing against him, right? I think we could think of the analogy generally in this regard of the wind blowing of um, like a seafaring analogy. Ancient Romans, ancient Greeks, right? They, they had large navies. There's great works of art. Um, I think they're Dutch works of art where it's like in people's homes because they were seafaring and they made their living on the ocean, you know, largely. They would have a lot of images in their homes of like boats in storms to prepare themselves, to prepare their children as they were growing up to be familiar with this image because it was likely the case that they were going to be at some point stuck in a storm literally, that they'd have to get through to deliver um, deliver the goods and, you know, have an economy. The ancient Greeks were famous for having in public spaces, right, like images of war because the, the Greek city-states were constantly fighting with each other. So these, war, these images of war were like reminders, like this is what's probably going to happen. Be less shocked by it. Right, the Stoics we talked about, I think, already would encourage us to kind of envision the difficult things in life. Epictetus and Marcus both make interesting references to this. Marcus in his morning rituals, like, I'm going to meet somebody who's going to be rude. I'm going to have to deal with inconveniences. Why? Because the only thing worse, and by only thing I mean within this example, of course, right? The only thing worse than getting punched in the face is getting punched in the face by surprise. Right, so if we practice a little bit this premeditation, they would say, of evils, right? I could lose all of this. We talked about mental mori. That's an inevitable evil, right? Or in quotes, we have to, we doesn't have to necessarily scare us. It shouldn't. It's a natural part of life. Marcus writing the meditations, a lot of it in the last decade of his life is trying to make peace with that, right? The, the fact that he's mortal. But nonetheless, we should think about these other evils, right? And just have them in our minds. This works. I, I practice this, right? And I'll give, once again, I try to use small examples here, right? But we talk about the, the fig tree making figs, right? The doctor dealing with someone with a fever, the wind blowing in the face of someone steering a boat, that preparedness helps. Small example I was thinking of, I assume technology will not work if I have to like give a presentation at work. I assume it's not going to work. So what that does is I get there early. I start testing it. So if it doesn't work, I can catch it before I have to be giving the presentation. I have backups to things, whether it's on different programs or I have multiple files, something. So I'm just ready. Readiness is very important. I think that's a Shakespeare quote, right? I'm not, I'm not, this might be not verbatim, but it's, like, it's all in the readiness. I think it's a really interesting idea the Stoics also would agree with. Just be ready, constantly be training ourselves for you know, potentials. Now, let me be clear about this. Like pretty much, you know, everything in life. Balance is important here. So don't constantly be doing that. Don't constantly be thinking that things aren't going to work out. But on a daily basis, visit the idea. When you have something coming up in life, visit the idea. Okay, well, what might go wrong here? How can I prepare for it? So if it does go wrong, you're a little more ready. 
right? And that readiness, once again, is powerful. And it's about setting various expectations. So we're not surprised. And this, again, I'm not sure exactly, of course, when or how or why he wrote this, but I think it could have been when he, let's say, for example, was dealing with his own frequently um, frequent, frequently arising thoughts or feelings that maybe weren't too pleasant, right? So it's, for example, if you're really nervous about, if you know you're nervous about giving a public, you know, like a public speech, you're not into public speaking. Okay, well, you know you're going to get nervous. All right, so, all right, nerves, here you are. Here you are. Good to see you. I expected you to come. All right. Now what? I got to I got to move past it. Because once again, being surprised adds an element to the negative event or adds an element to the feeling that we don't have to um, we don't have to cultivate. Right? So the person at, again, just using the examples, the person at work who's been difficult for 6 months on, you know, day 1 of month 7 is still difficult. Okay, duh. Like obviously right? It creates a calmness. It numbs this thing, which is useful, but we have to embrace it, right? We have to embrace, once again, what it is. It is what it is. I do think, however, and I think this is a really cool point, people can change. And I, I maybe said that's a cool point because I don't like when people just are too, let's say, they're too into saying, it is what it is. No, wait a minute. We have to wrestle with this. Let's not dismiss what is possible, Let's not dismiss our ability to bring something new into the world. That could be a new self. That could be a new relationship. It could be a new opportunity, whatever. Let's not detract from our own ability to do that. And the Stoics would agree. Right? There's an idea from Frederick Nietzsche's work that I can't get into because we're already at like 13 minutes here and I don't want to you know, go too long with these. But like the will to power, right? Introduce that a little bit. You, you can take action. So that this, the idea of stoic indifference, stoic acceptance is helpful in some situations, while in others, we have to grapple, we have to fight, we have to try to build something different. Sartre has a good idea, I could get into it a little more briefly, um, to not live in like bad faith, right? To give you a very brief summary, and I think try to make it relevant to this conversation, that's like sort of saying it is what it is, and it, it is, this is what it's always going to be. Not the case. Practice good faith. Especially in our, you know, in our modern world, right? We might argue certain circumstances, you know, of course, are an impediment to this at the moment. But ultimately, change is possible. That's the big idea. But the small idea is like you could just go. You could get on a train. And let's and and even just today, you I could get on the subway today and be in a different borough for the day. I could call and work. I can't go. There's no, oh, I have to go. Wait a minute. Watch, watch, watch what you say you have to do. Watch that phrase. I have to. Wait a minute. You're making that sense of have to. And to put that responsibility elsewhere, it might be to practice some bad faith. We don't want to live in bad faith. We want to be where we are because we're consciously choosing to be where we are. And we're embracing that as a part of what it means to be an empowered human. And of course, there are examples of, of you know, horrible oppression where bad faith is placed upon individuals. And we could argue with that, I think, in a very interesting way. But again, for the Stoics, we have to keep in mind that there, there, you know, there needs to be a balance here. But again, I think the key here for Marcus is don't let yourself be surprised by things that have habitually, they've established a pattern of being what they are. 
learn how to calmly say it is what it is and move on. Stop being surprised by the wind blowing when you're seafaring, right? When you're, when you're on the sea, it's going to happen. So maybe this is an interesting question. Like, what, what can you stop being surprised by? And how would decreasing the intensity of your response, of your surprise response, maybe make your life better? Again, how, how do we, this is kind of like, too, how do we just brush things off more easily, to put it simply? I could have said that like 20 minutes ago, right? That's what I think he's trying to encourage himself here to just brush things off. Like the doctor, like the helmsman, like the person who is getting a fig from a fig tree. Oh, I'm at, I'm at the fig tree. Here's a fig. Okay, here we go. So I hope this is helpful. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you soon.